welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I am a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. Today on the podcast, we're going to discuss some of the ins and outs of practice ownership. Now, I know practice ownership is certainly not for everyone, especially if you're looking to go into an area other than clinical medicine. And if you are one who has absolutely no interest in becoming a practice owner, that is totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. But the goal of today's podcast is to get into some of the pros and cons of being a practice owner and what is involved with becoming one. If you haven't thought about practice ownership yet, it's definitely worth the thought. And if you think that buying or starting a practice seems impossible and daunting, uh, trust me, it may not be. And I hope this episode will help ease those fears for you. So there's a ton that goes into and a lot of daunting and confusing parts, which is why I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast someone that's going to help us sort that out. Today we've got Dr. Jess Rochelle joining us. Jess is a 2012 graduate of Louisiana State University College of Veterinary Medicine. And after veterinary school, she entered into an equine internship, but soon found that her veterinary career would then take a turn away from clinical practice. Jess is now part of the very talented team at Live Oak Bank, where she works with veterinary students on business and leadership development with the goal of helping bridge the gap between vet med and business. Uh, We're definitely going to talk a little bit more about her role at Live Oak and the great services that Live Oak Bank provides a bit later in the podcast. But without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Jess. How's it going? Oh, it's fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Good. Well, welcome to Columbia, Missouri. You've been here before, but... Yes. um, It's much nicer this time. I think it was snowing last time I was here. Most likely. Yeah, we have a bit of schizophrenic weather, so uh, you got us on a good day. So Yeah, it's nice to see the green. It's always... uh, Springtime is awesome. Yes, definitely. Well, thanks again for joining me on the podcast today. Very excited to talk about practice ownership with you because you know quite a bit about this from from the other side, from from the banking side, from the outside, if you will. Absolutely. Um, so I wanted to talk about basically an overview of what goes into practice ownership, why you would maybe consider being a practice owner, maybe why you wouldn't. And I started thinking about this, uh, about talking about this topic, because for a long time, uh, practice ownership has been a goal of mine. Uh, ever since I wanted to go into veterinary medicine, which was not from an early age, this was I, I only realized this after vet school, and, and you know this if you've been listening to the podcast um, uh, in previous episodes, but practice ownership is a, a major goal of mine. It's something I really look forward to, and it's one of the big energizing factors of of why I want to be a veterinarian. So I know why I want to be uh, a practice owner, but I know that a lot of veterinary students out there see practice ownership as a daunting undertaking and scary and a lot of unknowns. And one of those big things is is money and, and going into even more debt, which we're going to get into a bit more throughout this conversation. But I wanted to talk to you first about what you've seen in terms of your experience with veterinary students and and your experience working at Live Oak Bank about pros and cons just generally of practice ownership and why why we should be thinking about that this now even if we went into vet school saying my gosh I am never going to go into practice ownership why would I ever want to do that yeah absolutely so one of the things that uh struck me was that 
in vet school, I had never even contemplated the fact that as a veterinarian, you can go into practice ownership. It just, I was like, you go out, you be a veterinarian. I never thought about the fact that business ownership is a unique opportunity um, that you, where you get to practice medicine and also be a business owner. And so when I look at it, like there's there's several opportunities there. And I guess I would flip the question back to you. Obviously, we've spent a lot of time together. You participated in our student program last year. What is it about it that attracts you to business ownership? Why do you want to do it so bad? Sure. So first and foremost, I think it's the leadership opportunity. I love leading a team and seeing a team uh, succeed and grow. And I get a lot of, um, I, uh, it brings me a lot of joy to see that happen. That's one thing. The freedom as well, uh, not being underneath someone's umbrella. I, I don't like having a boss, not because I, I don't like having uh, a superior, having someone tell me what to do. Uh, I just like working for myself and what's entailed with that. Um, that's two. Number three is there, from what I've understood, what I've researched, there is a lot more uh, opportunity for financial prosperity in practice ownership. I know that uh, generally across the board, veterinarians don't make a great living in comparison to our other medical professional counterparts. Uh, practice ownership is, I think, one way to help bridge that gap. Definitely. And when I ask that question to other people, they come up with very, very similar answers. So when you're thinking about practice ownership, those are the opportunities that it allows for you to um, be your own boss. You get to control the quality of medicine that you're getting to practice as well as have the freedom, as well as have that intrinsic um, value of building something, building a life for other people to build their own lives and send mm-hmm. their kids to school, send their kids to college. And there's something that while well, practicing medicine is amazing, there's something pretty powerful about that. And so that whole um, piece of it is very much what we see with a lot of people wanting to own their own business. And then, of course, the money aspect is there's definitely the financial aspect because when you're just an associate, you're an expense to the owner in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. And the you know we look at who are the the wealthiest people in the world, oftentimes they are the business people. And it's because they're, they're being able to tap into that extra profit that it, the business is making. And that's, you know, because they're taking on the risk of building this business. And there is a risk that it could fail, but there's also a high risk or high likelihood that it is going to be successful and and being able to profit and benefit from that and so as the owner yes you're still being able to practice and being veterinarian and produce what you would as a being a veterinarian but you also have access to that other piece of the pie of being Mm -hmm. the business owner and that's really when we break down where you know how do practice owners make more money well they're functioning both as an associate within the practice of being the veterinarian and then they also are taking home a piece of the pie of owning their own business and they get to control that and uh and make those decisions, which is a, a pretty powerful thing. So, right. In terms of the cons, let's just let's, let's dive into that a little bit because from what I've heard from classmates and other veterinary students, is one, it costs a lot to own a practice, at least to, to buy a practice or to start one up. Um, number two, like you said before, the risk is pretty high. I mean, there's a lot of unknown. What if this fails? What happens to all my money? What am I liable for? Um, what am I liable for in terms of my employees? What if they get hurt or what if, what if they're sick and, and they can't come to work? What am I going to do? I'm, I'm the one in charge and so on and so forth. Um, what else have you heard in terms of the, the barriers to entry, if you will, of going into practice ownership? Yeah. 
We um we have a really in-depth focus on customer service at our bank. And so we keep a, a good eye on our portfolio of practices. We have over 700 practices. And so one of the things that we really look at is when people are struggling, what are some of the trends that come with that, which is kind of this scenario of if you're going to fail, what causes that? And a huge piece of it is attitude of they they didn't realize what they were taking on um, and that it's more than being a good practitioner that being a business owner there's a lot that goes into that Mm -hmm. and that it's a 24 7 job and so it was a really interesting trend that we found they kind of called it the long-term associate syndrome Mm -hmm. of uh, somebody who had been an associate for 10 to 15 years and you know the um, older veterinarian was retiring and they were just selling the practice to the associate just because that was that seemed like the natural thing to do and that associate had not had long aspirations of really wanting to own the business and they come into that ownership scenario with an employee mindset of showing up eight to five Mm -hmm. and doing their job and then when they're stepping into that ownership role suddenly you are everything to everybody Mm -hmm. it comes to scheduling it comes to um you know taking care of the equipment running the business all the expenses and some people just aren't cut out for that and that's Mm -hmm. okay right you know and and so I would really encourage people early in their careers to start to explore, do I like leading people? Um, do I like being in charge and having to make those decisions? And, and you know, it's it's both a blessing and a curse, right? right. You're, you get to make the decisions, but then at the end of the day, you're the one that had to make the decision. Right. So um, it's, uh, again, blessing and a curse when it comes to that. So thinking through that and getting yourself into positions where you get to practice that skill. I think the club system within veterinary medicine um, is an excellent way to get to practice that and see, do I like this? Do I like being in charge of people? Do I like managing a budget? Do I like um, coming up with ways to grow our revenues, you know, of of figuring out fundraising opportunities for our business? Uh, How do we market ourselves? How do we communicate? How do I communicate and lead a team? Mm -hmm. And it's one of those, it's a, you know, it's, it takes a lot of effort to be excellent at in the club scenario, but it also is a low risk of if you fail, right. like what's the worst that's going to happen. And so I think that is such a phenomenal opportunity to test out. Do I like being in the boss's shoes? Because right. there's def- definitely the opportunity there within the uh, different organizations and vet med as a student that you can get involved in and, and test those theories out and then refine, you know, you get to experiment and say, Hey, well, this didn't work or, uh, our board's not quite working together. Well, let's think about that. How can I, what can I learn from this and how can we, uh, implement some of the tools and strategies that we're learning about communication into how I'm working with this team. So I think there's excellent opportunities to get to mm-hmm. find out whether you're cut out for this. Obviously it's going to be on a grander scale, but if you get into those mini scenarios and you're like, I don't like leading people, you know, realizing that most of the time when people in practice ownership um, or any sort of management position, like their biggest headaches is not the finance, not the medicine. It's working with people and learning to effectively communicate, uh, effectively lead a team, get everybody going into the same direction and towards a goal and being able to paint that vision so that um, all of the effort and all the motivation are working towards uh, a grander vision and everybody wants to be on that boat headed in the same direction. So I think that's incredibly important is the desire and we call it the the eye of the tiger. Do you have what it takes to want to be that business owner? Because again, at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. And so you got to have that desire when things don't go well, 
you know, how are you going to pick yourself up and keep going and, and have the grit and determination to, you know, dig that business out of whatever hole may have happened. I mean, there's any number of scenarios of you can be a, a great practitioner and then obviously mother nature plays a role in a lot of right. things and uh, there's fires that happen and, and are you going to have the resiliency to, you know, handle those and handle them with grace and still keep your team together. And so it's not just about the finances. And when we see businesses that struggle, generally it's not the economics. It's not, you know, that the dogs and cats just dried up and didn't aren't coming to the vet anymore. It's that the leadership within the team, they didn't have what it takes to be an owner. And so setting yourself up for that, practicing that skill, it's a skill. You know, this doesn't happen overnight. And so how can you find opportunities to be able to um, practice that skill and and get better at it over the years? And when we really look at what is the huge drawback as far as financial risk, I mean, obviously there's liability, but there's the legal structures. And this is why you hire attorneys Mm -hmm. is that is their job is to think of all of the worst case scenarios and protect you from it. So uh, if you do find yourself in these shoes of, getting an attorney early on that understands uh, what's going on within the veterinary industry so that they can protect you from the different nuances that might be special to us. So having an attorney that has worked with our profession is incredibly important. And then at the end of the day of the, that's the, always the question of what if this fails? And we are uniquely situated in that if it fails, and this came from one of our loan officers of painting, we got to get a bigger perspective on business ownership and what that means for other people. If it completely fails, you shut the doors and you you know default on your loan. Yes, you would have to declare bankruptcy, which is mm-hmm. not a great situation. Highly don't recommend Please don't it. don't do that. We don't want anybody in that situation. <laughs> but if it does happen, we're a veterinarian and we can go out and still make 80, 90 grand a year. And so when you look at the scheme of the business world of like what, you know, everybody else and what their scenario would be if, you know, all the other entrepreneurs, like they don't have a default, a backup plan of if if everything goes wrong, we still have a pretty good gig to go back to. And so while that's less than ideal and not something we want to think about when you take the argument as far as it go, that's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, you know, you can recover from that. Right. And so that, that to me is a, gives you the ability to sleep at night of like, all right, if I screw this up, what happens? And well, you just go back to being an associate. Yeah. You're gonna have to dig out of a hole, but you know, in the long run that, that, and it's a small risk because we have a really good profession. We have um, the statistics, even during recessions, we do, we might not grow, but we are not one of those that quickly goes under. I mean, there is, you know, you have to be a good manager and a diligent manager during those times, but we don't see an overwhelming number fail during Mm -hmm. tough economic times. So again, you kind of have to put it in perspective of, you know, if you were a restaurant or any other kind of business owner that ours is a good business if you're going to be a business owner to be in. And if you're not good at it, you know, the the goal is always, um, if you do find yourself in that scenario where you get into ownership and it's not what you wanted it to be, one of the keys is keeping your business open and keeping it going so you, you can get it sold so it has value. The biggest mistake we see with people that do struggle is they shut the doors and then that business has no value and Mm -hmm. we can't get them out of that situation. So, um, getting out of it before you're at the bottom of your rope would be right. the, the out. And so, you know, again, there's opportunities to get, uh, when you look at the risk, 
I think they're mitigated by a lot of the things that our profession, the attributes that our profession has um, relative to the business models. Right. And I think you made a good point too about when you were making your point about the attorney, uh, going into business ownership is not about going in it alone. Uh, you have to use your resources and you are not expected to be the expert on everything, be it law, be it accounting or finance. Uh, and that goes into loans and banking and everything that you do or that, that your bank does. Um, even about practice management, you're not supposed to be the expert on everything. There are people out there and yes, they're going to cost money, but trust me, by you investing money in that, it's going to save you a heck of a lot of money and time and energy in the long run. So please don't do it alone. Don't feel like you have to do it alone. Right. And there's so much that's a, a key part is building your support team of making sure that you have people around you who know what they're doing and are going to protect you and guide you and um, that add value to your practice. You don't have to be the sole um, source of everything. There's a full a group of people out there that that's all we do is support veterinarians which is a pretty phenomenal thing that what there's kind of a whole another industry supported by the veterinary industry of mm-hmm. of these support team members and whatever you may need so if you are struggling find somebody to reach out to um right. don't struggle in it alone so and right. building that support team while you're still in school you know you you're in the magical student window so right. you get to ask all those questions find out information go talk to um Obviously, we talked about the attorney, but other people to look at are the brokers out there. Mm-hmm. And so bro- brokers, their whole role is to buy and sell practices and, and match a buyer with a seller. And so go out and talk to them and find out what you know what they're looking at in practices, what makes a valuable practice. They're an infinitely great resource to understand mm-hmm. what's happening within that practice. So a little Google search will get at you a long way and start sh- shopping and saying, well, what's out there on the market? What do these ads mean? You know, right. when, they, when they talk about um, the financial aspects of it, like, well, let me decipher that and let me see what is it I like. Let me find out from the practices I do know, where do they fit? Um, relative to these different kind of um, practices that are on the market, just so you can start to understand what is for sale and what does that look like um, if you want to become an owner. Right. Now let's talk about some of the logistics of getting into practice ownership. Uh, Like I said in the beginning, one of the big hurdles that a lot of people have a hard time getting over is going into even more debt. Now I know that most vet students are going to come out of school with at least six figures worth of debt. So that's a lot of money. And that is a scary amount of money because you're going to be making, let's say between, let's say about $75,000 when you get out of school, Um, do the math and having to live and everything. It's going to take you a long time to pay those off. So why in the world would I want to buy, let's say a million dollar business and take out uh, a loan that's close to that and go into that much more debt? I mean, it seems ridiculous. Um, So how does it work? Can I get a loan from from a bank, Live Oak Bank or any other bank that that will lend to veterinarians with the amount of debt that we have, with the amount of income that we have? And, and how does it work in terms of how they evaluate me as a person and me as a potential businessman? That's a, that's a very good question. And we're going to break it into a couple different parts of understanding why would you go into that kind of debt? And There's a fundamental paradigm shift when it comes to buying a business relative to uh, our kind of normal way that we think about loans and debt. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we we are looking at it from the consumer aspect, just like with your student loans. Um, If you were to get a house loan, thinking about okay, I am buying this thing, I'm going into debt. But what you have to think about is where's the income coming from for that debt? Mm -hmm. Well, it's coming from something separate, right? Your house, um, it's your income from your job is paying for the house. 
The thing to note that's different about buying a business is that the loan only happens, the debt only occurs when you buy the thing that's making money. Mm-hmm. Because the only reason you're buying this, well, there's the other intangibles, be your own boss and all of those things. The reason you're buying the business is because it makes money and that's where the value is and that's where the price tag is set is based in how much that business is earning. So you're Mm -hmm. buying a revenue stream, you're buying a stream of money. And so the loan, if it's done right, if it's calculated right and how we calculate them is based on the cash flow of is there enough money available after all the expenses have been paid, after the light bill has been paid, after the kennel assist has been paid, after the technicians, your associate veterinarians, everybody's been paid. Is there enough money in that bucket of money to be able to pay for the new loan, mm-hmm. pay you, and have some left over? And if we can make that happen, chances are this is going to be, we believe in you as an owner, we're going to be able to make that loan, mm-hmm. hopefully. And so understanding just the fundamental paradigm shift of, again, the business is essentially the money that you're going to pay down the debt with is coming from that business. Mm-hmm. So that and this is just one of those things to start to think about of like, oh, that is a little bit of a paradigm shift right. versus, okay, I'm getting into debt somewhere else. The money is coming in. No, this thing, the reason you're buying it is because it makes money and that money, there should be enough money in that bucket of money to pay down the debt pay you and have some leftover and so that's what we're really trying to evaluate uh, in this process of the loan approval process of can all those things happen and uh, what's interesting is when we really start to take factor in the student loan debt while it looks really terrible on paper (laughs) what we're trying to find out is because the money to pay for this loan is coming from the business itself. It's not coming from your personal balance sheet and right. for the most part. It's coming from the money being generated in that. So while your student loans come into play in some of how much salary you need to make, mm-hmm. that's really the, the place where they come into function is how much money do you need to be able to pull out of this business to support your student loan debt. And generally speaking, with an associate salary, you're, you know, you're not thriving, but you're able to make that work and so when we're calculating the loan and we're talking about is it able to pay you we calculate in a salary a personal salary for you Um, and that is based off of your personal debt obligation so we're looking at your credit report saying okay how much not total balance that you're in Mm -hmm. we look at that but really what we're looking at was called the debt to income ratio of saying how much debt you have relative to how much debt you have how much income do you need and we're looking Mm -hmm. for at least a 50 percent dti so that means basically if you owe you know and this is not total balances this is annual payments of when you calculate your monthly payments per year That amount um, and multiply that by two is what you're going to need to take at least as a salary draw. Now, if you owe less than, say, 40 grand, we're going to make sure that you're still making what you would make as an associate. So generally, we're going to calculate in probably that 75 or whatever you were making before Mm -hmm. that as far as a salary so that you are still continuing to live your lifestyle the way you were because the last thing we want to do is get you into ownership and the, your quality of life go down right. because chances are then you're not going to be a very happy business owner and very unhappy business owners aren't going to do you know grow their business and and be successful so we want to make sure that you're able to maintain that lifestyle right. and, and so the whole idea is, to, is when becoming a business owner is to uh make your lifestyle better right 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 so. and do the things that make you happy and uh, obviously there's you know different kinds of stressors than with medicine but that's the exciting part is that you get to add a little variety because it's time and time again we hear the people that are in medicine like after a few years like 
all right, if I see one more itchy dog and skin right. issues and ear issues, it, it, it gets routine. You know, obviously there's very exciting cases out there, but um, it, it can get very routine at times. And so being the business owner, obviously we're a very, very intelligent group of people gets to engage different pieces of your brain. And, mm. and that's an exciting thing. So um, and back to the process. So what we're trying to do in the in the loan process is it's just like if, if I walked up to you off the street and said hey can i borrow two hundred dollars what are you going to want to know from me before you hand over that money let's see uh what's it for (laughs) uh who are you first of all yeah um what's in it for me what am i going to get back yeah am i going to get it back am i going to get back Um, absolutely uh what's the time limit in terms of how long you have to pay me back yeah all of those things um are very reasonable. And that's essentially when we talk about the loan approval process, those are all the questions that the bank are trying to answer as well of who are you? Do we trust you? How are you going to be able to pay us back? What do you have? What are you willing to put on the line? How much cash uh, do you have? And why are you asking us for money? And what are you going to promise us if you don't pay? What do we get in Mm -hmm. return? As well as all of the kind of logistics of the loan. And so when you think about the loan approval process, because it's a very in-depth um, process that happens, they're just trying to show on paper and through the interview process all of those same questions just in a much more formal way, because obviously we're upping the ante from $200 to, uh, in this particular case you were referring to, a million dollars. That's, you know, we need to proof on paper that we've answered those questions and show, okay, yeah, we do believe that this loan and this business and this person are going to be successful. That's what we're trying to answer because this is, you know, the, the bank's money on the line. And, and just like you want to know those things, if somebody's borrowing money for you, that's what we do all day, every day. And if we if we miss, if we make the wrong loans too many times, we're not going to be in business anymore. Right. So we got to um, be successful in vetting out that process and making sure it's a match. Um it's, it's really interesting to hear our guys talk, our team of uh, lenders that have been working in this industry for, you know, over 20, 25 years, that it's not just about the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, a lot of what makes them not work is the uh, the style of medicine, taking over a business where you just had a completely different style of medicine than the previous owner. And, um, and you know, particularly if it was one that was like a low cost kind of spay neuter place and you were trying to make it an extremely progressive practice well that was why those people were coming there was for affordable care and so Mm -hmm. understanding where you are in the marketplace or or vice versa the other way of if you take that uh, really progressive practice and try and uh, are those clientele going to stick there and when we're looking at the financials because what we're going to do with the loan to run a cash flow analysis is say all right here's how the business has been performing we're going to look at the the seller's financial statements for the last three years and say the past is a proxy for the future obviously Mm -hmm. this is why you're buying the businesses because it tends to perform like this Mm -hmm. so we're going to morph the past with the future and say okay if the business continues to run like it has run for the last three years when you take over will there be enough money left over to pay the loan down and pay you and have some left over that's what we're 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 running a cash flow analysis there so what we're looking at there is can the business support itself and support you? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how that process works. So again, it's not uh, you bringing some cash to the table is important because you need to have skin in the game. But in reality, it's the business being able to support itself through the revenue that it's generating right. and the profits that it's earning. Now, in terms of 
getting the loan in the first place. We know that it's not, it's different than a student loan or a house loan where the income for paying back the loans coming from, not coming from the house or from the student, the, the school, obviously you're not making money from school and, and the money that's going to be used to pay back the loan on a business is from the business income. What about the money you have to put down? Because most of us as students, I would say the majority, aren't going to have a lot of cash on hand, um, especially after vet school and and probably not even within a few years uh, after graduating because, of course, we have a lot of debt to start to pay down. So uh, accumulating cash is not going to be one of the um, uh, luxuries that we're going to have in our early careers. So I know that with a house, you have to usually put down quite a bit of a chunk of change, you know, 10 20%. Uh, and if we're using the example of the million dollar practice, 10 to 20% is a six figure number. And most of us aren't going to have that much money. Um, so how do you, how, how does that addressed? One of the things to consider is that, and I didn't know this until I got into the banking at all, that there's different loan products, that loans are products and that they have different requirements and different stipulations based on what they are. And there's different programs out there. Uh, even in the house example for, for first time home buyers, mm-hmm. there are is uh, loans out there where you don't have to have the 10 to 20%. You can have three to 5%. There's right. other stipulations with that of where it is and what types of loans. So there are, a loan is not a, just a loan. Um, there's a lot of different products and different ways to qualify for different ones. And that goes the same for business loans mm-hmm. as well. So our bank, one of the things that we did a little bit differently when we talk about your kind of traditional bank, they mostly do what's called conventional loans where you're trying to get enough collateral on the line to where if that loan goes bad, they have enough stuff that you've promised them that they can get their money back. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we do differently is we leverage the SBA loan program, which is the Small Business Administration. It's a government agency that was set up um, mm-hmm. After World War II, it really became in prominence. It was just to help small businesses grow. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, veterinary industry fits really well with that loan product. If you have um, a business that's very valuable because people are coming there to spend money. They love their pets and there's a revenue stream there. But that's what we call an intangible asset. Mm-hmm. Something you can't touch, you can't see. It's the it's the reputation, it's the brand name, it's the team, it's the synergies that are there. And that's an intangible asset. Versus the building, that's a tangible asset of the bank. You know, if, if everything goes wrong and the bank has to take this from you, the practice itself is intangible. Of the, the whole team quit and you got a bad reputation. We can't take that and sell that for right. value. Versus the building still holds its value in some respects. So it's intangible. So historically, banks were really hesitant to lend to uh, veterinarians because mm-hmm. it's a very valuable thing, an intangible asset. Like you said, the next generation of veterinarians coming out doesn't have a lot of cash in the bank. Right. And so understanding that. And then the SBA loan program, our initial ask is 10%, um, but there are ways that of you making a meaningful contribution, uh, we are still able to make the loan. So looking at your personal balance sheet and what makes sense for the size of the deal, but you don't necessarily have to have the 10%. Got it. So don't let that be a barrier uh, right. to at least have the conversation. There may be other things that are barriers, but right. the cash down doesn't always have to be one. I'm not going to say that there's a specific set number because it's very much dependent on the size of the practice and all of those things, but it's a a meaningful contribution. And fortunately with uh, the veterinary industry, one of the things like on our underwriting of, of talking about, well, why does this person, they have to justify to the SBA? Why does this person not have the liquidity? Mm -hmm. Well, 
they were in vet school. <laughs> right. They have student loan debt. They've been paying down their student loan debt. They've they spent that time in school and they were not able to work during that time. So they haven't been generating an income. All of those things start to play into uh, there's a very reasonable explanations as to why we don't have cash. Right. And so that can be justified and uh, made to work in this kind of loan. And I think one of the great things about Live Oak Bank, not only being that they uh, specialize in veterinary lending, um, is that they really understand where we're coming from as veterinarians and as as previous veterinary students. They know what goes into veterinary school, both the financial component and the the mental component too. And they know that our they know our our potential as practitioners as a, and as business owners and as people in general. So um, I think it's a really good outlook in terms of where things uh, have been and where things are going in terms of how we are able to succeed in business with having a bit of a different financial background than say a lot of other industries and a lot of other business owners too. For sure. Yeah. I get questions all the time of like, I didn't know a veterinarian could work for a bank. And I'm like, most can't or most right. banks would never hire one. And, um, and that's one of the unique things that makes Live Oak unique and then why I can work for a bank. I mean, that's definitely a, a huge career shift. Um, but I think that's a, a very important point is, is that they care and they understand and they realize that having veterinarians on staff is important to them understanding what's going on within the industry so that they can support it better. And so I'm actually one of two veterinarians. We have another veterinarian on staff whose mm-hmm. whole role is to help you talked about, you know, what are the what are the risks associated with failing? Um, we have a, another veterinarian who acts as a business consultant and any of our borrowers that are struggling, she'll go in and help and do a free business mm-hmm. consult and spend time with them, answer any of their questions That's to help cool. get them back on track. So we really try and mitigate that as much as possible because we know veterinarians as a whole are pretty risk averse. And right. so how helping um, through that process. So another thing with the, the cash down to think about is, you know, when you're get out and start making an income where are you putting your cash to Mm -hmm. and thinking about that of like oh great i got a five thousand dollar bonus cool Uh, am i going to spend that on paying down my student loans or how would that extra five thousand dollars just look in the bank trying to get a down payment on a business and so it's just really trying to figure out your priorities and where that money is best spent and it's really interesting with buying a business hearing um, one of our board members who is also a veterinarian, he said, with student debt, you almost can't afford not to buy a practice mm-hmm. because it's buying the engine, right? Right. Rather than just being a cog in the engine and getting your small piece of the pie, you're buying the engine that's producing the money. And so again, you're getting to get two pieces of that pie of what you're producing as a veterinarian and also uh, the upswing and the benefits of being a business owner, and, which is a fantastic piece of, uh, it's a fantastic opportunity for young veterinarians and good news is the baby boomer generation is you know starting to get out of the workforce so Mm -hmm. hopefully the millennials will really have an opportunity to get into ownership uh, within the profession i'm gonna ask you a question that i asked dr tony bartels who i had on uh, a podcast um, a little while ago and the question is if we're going to be going if we're interested in going into practice ownership what should we be focusing on in the first few years after graduation when we, when we start making money, should we start paying off our loans as fast as we can, or should we save the money with the goal of using that as a down payment on a, uh, a practice loan? Right. And and that's what I was talking about of what's important to you, your priorities. If you can't sleep at night because you have student loan debt, like 
go ahead and go do that. But mm-hmm. I understand it's going to take you a little longer to get that cash in the bank to be able to put a down payment on uh, cash down for that practice. But uh, I would say taking care of your student loans in a manageable way and working with people who are knowledgeable in your situation. But again, that goes back to by the engine you know you're going to be able to attack that student loan debt when you have another stream of income coming through so what's better again keeping that five thousand dollars in the bank as cash to be able to get into ownership ten thousand dollars any you know all those uh, contributions are start to be meaningful relative to a veterinarian versus all right you got one hundred sixty thousand dollars of student loan debt what is that five ten grand going to do at that point versus all right this is going to get me into the game right and then I'll be able to have another income stream to be able to attack that student loan debt. Right. Great. Now, before I get into my my closing question and the closing topic for us today, I, it sounds to me that the barriers that most of us think of going into practice ownership being, um, one, it's incredibly scary. Two, there's a lot of money to put down that we don't have, and there's a lot of money to take out of the bank that we don't want to take out. It sounds like this is all very feasible. If you put the pieces together the right way, you have the right resources, it is very possible. And those fears and those, uh, what we thought of initially as barriers are, are, uh, are able to be overcome. And, uh, and if you have a dream of becoming a practice owner, uh, go for it. Don't let these fears and hopefully this conversation today has kind of put those at ease a little bit to show you that people are doing this every day. You know, people that are graduating from veterinary school uh, this year and from five years ago and 10 years ago, and people that are going to graduate in years after you, they're, they're going to do this and there are ways to do it. So um, don't let things that you may not have a lot of knowledge about keep you from doing what you really want to do. The one thing I love about my job is that when I come talk to students and get to present just like I did here at Mizzou is I'm showing real cases. Mm-hmm. You know, these are not things that I made up and I go through and find the ones that are less than five years out of school that did this. And we look at their financial statements and say, all right, what do you think? And most people are like, no, they can never buy a practice. And we really start to, to walk through these processes. But those are all real cases. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not making this stuff up. These are, you know, veterinarians that are, you know, two and a half years out of school buying $2 million practices, you know, a year out of school buying a $1.2 million practice and, mm-hmm. and really setting themselves up and they're thriving. That's the beautiful part about it is that when we go look at, uh, I check in on them, you know, every now and then just to see how their financials are doing. And they are crushing it. Right. It's awesome to see how well these young veterinarians, they they were able to, you know, take the time, be patient, build up business acumen, wrap their heads around what this means to be a business owner, but they're in it, they're doing it, and they're being extremely successful. Right. And so that, that to me is the exciting part about this is mm-hmm. that it is success. It's not uh, this theory. It's This is reality for right. people that are in your shoes and very similar, if not worse, situations. I mean, we have some with uh, multiple, you know, two, three hundred thousand dollars worth of debt being able to buy millions of dollars worth of practice and and that's their 
investment. That's what the beautiful thing is. We we talk about salary, we talk about annual cash flow of, of you and your personal, you know, salary. But in reality, one of the, the most important things to think about is the investment opportunity mm-hmm. that this is. Obviously going through school, you don't have much income coming in. So you don't get to think about like, well, once I start making money, where does this money actually go? And how do I grow the amount of money I'm, right. I'm making? And so when you look at, okay, I could spend 10 years being an associate taking out of, you know, that piece of the pie to invest in stocks or bonds, whatever other investment opportunities versus buying the practice and, you know, having that extra cash flow. But also every time that business makes that loan payment, right? Because we calculated that in the loan that the business is able to pay for itself, right? essentially, guess whose personal equity is going up? That's yours. Right. And so at the end of the day, once that loan's paid off, that's your equity. If you want to sell that business or more importantly, the real estate, mm-hmm. I mean, we have people getting into um, ownership and extremely valuable property as well as their business uh, that they're making investments in that you wouldn't be able to make otherwise. Right. So the investment opportunity is phenomenal. And if you grow the business, that's all the more equity that you're getting. And so uh, thinking about it from that perspective, not just the annual cash flow salary. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. So to close us out quickly, what can we be doing now as vet students to prepare us for practice ownership? And isn't is now even the right time to start preparing? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right now is the best time. Um, one of the biggest, biggest, biggest things you need to take care of is your credit. Okay. Because your credit report and your credit score is basically your track history of owing people money. And we go back to that question of what do you want to know about the person who's, who would borrow money from you? Mm-hmm. You know, Have you paid people back in the past? Well, guess what? That's where your credit report states right. is how well did you do when you owed people money in the past? How well did you do at paying them back? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we're going to lend you a million dollars, that's information we want to know. Right. <laughs> I think any reasonable person are okay with that. And so making sure to check your credit, make sure that the information on your credit report is accurate. Mm-hmm. I think statistics like 20% of credit reports could have an error. Right. And so making sure that it's just simply your information, especially if you have a common name, there's a, a higher percentage chance that some of that information is not actually yours. Um so just thinking through that and checking your credit and making sure you're, you know, not obsessively, but making sure you know where it's at and, and how to improve it and uh, take care of it. Just being conscious of your credit. Right. Other things you could start doing, again, any and all leadership management experience that you can get, learning how to lead people. It is, you know, an art mm-hmm. <laughs> and and making sure that you want to do that and are have gotten to practice that skill. Other things would be... Um, you know, we do want you to get out and get comfortable with the medicine. We right. don't want you to have to be struggling with the surgery you got to do the next day while w- struggling to worry about payroll. Right. So we do encourage people to get out and get comfortable. You also don't want to get yourself into a liability suit for not doing the right thing medically. Um, so all of those things are, are, we don't have a time frame on, you know, you got to be three years out before we don't put a time on that. Ours mm-hmm. is go out and get comfortable. And, and, and we want to just be able to see that you are, you know, going out there hustling, being a good associate and being able to produce and drive revenues because you're going to be the driver of revenues as the business owner as well. So learn as much as you can about the business of veterinary medicine and talk to other business owners. I think that's one of the important things is 
interview, ask people, show people you're, you're excited and interested, seek their advice. You know, I, I think I'm really interested in being a practice owner. Can you give me some advice? What if, what has your experience been? Can you enlighten me on what that experience is like? And really you get both there, you know, what to do and more importantly, what not to do, um, and get to learn that from them without having to experience it yourself. So seek advice from those that have been in those shoes. Mm-hmm. Now, I also heard about this really great program that Live Oak Bank does over the summer, uh, the Veterinary Student Externship. I think I may have done that in the past, too. Um, <laughs> you were. You uh, were there. So, uh, was it a dream? Yeah. Uh, unbelievable experience. So I want to give you a chance to briefly explain what that's all about and how that could even put you uh, a step ahead in terms of learning about business ownership and business practice in general, because it made a world of difference in 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 my education, my knowledge of what goes into practice ownership and, and got me even more excited about what's to come in the future. So I highly recommend it for anyone out there that's interested in practice ownership, uh, just getting more business knowledge, leadership um, experience. Um, and you get to hang out with Jess for a week or two, and it's great in uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina. So, so yeah, what's it all about? Yeah, so we um, this came from the philosophies of Live Oak Bank of a rising tide floats all boats, and so this is our opportunity to say, you know, we have a lot of experts and a lot of team members who know so much about small business ownership and particularly veterinary practice ownership, mm-hmm. and so it's just really an opportunity to pull back the curtains of you know what goes on behind the scenes at a bank and understand the philosophies of how we do business. But also it's an opportunity. Um, We have some phenomenal, phenomenal entrepreneurs and people have done really interesting things within their careers that just want to share their knowledge. And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of a, a business boot camp, basically. Um, Not that intense, but it's a lot of fun, a lot of interactive exercises. If it's not just hours and hours of lecture by any means, it's getting your hands dirty, getting to work with financial statements, getting to learn about marketing, getting to learn about, you know, insurance or legal counsel, you know, any and all of our available resources who happen to be there that week. Um, (laughs) We travel a lot. So, you know, our team members, leveraging our team members that have knowledge to share onto a profession that is desperately seeking more business knowledge and share what we know and and give back to an industry that we love. So any interested students, um, you can find out more information on the Live Oak Bank website under the Live Oak Bank Learning Lab. And that's where all of this information is housed. Uh, You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook. So the Learning Lab is really that opportunity for you know, to come and learn and get your hands dirty with understanding business and, and getting involved and rolling up your sleeves and really wrapping your head around these topics because they can be so abstract. Like most of the time we talk about them. So it's like, let's, let's learn about this. So, mm-hmm. so what was one of your biggest takeaways from your two weeks there? I think it was about taking the ideas I had going into it, had the ideas that I had about my, uh, my business that I eventually want to have and developing those and, and finding the flaws in my ideas and how to improve upon them. Um, we did a lot of, like you said, going into the actual nuts and bolts of the financial world of business, looking at profit and loss statements and looking at cash flow analyses and, 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 and the like, and talking about all the different aspects of what goes into practice ownership and, and more importantly for, for the new uh, potential business owner, uh, what it takes to actually buy a a practice um, in terms of the loan and 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 uh, and just getting into it in general, um, but we also talked about some of those soft skills, if you will, uh, communication and networking and leadership. So it's kind of a, a an all encompassing experience that 
uh, totally exceeded my expectations. And, and you get to work with, um, I think we had four other students in my Usually session. Like five That's, to six students. Right. And, and from all different schools across the country. So it's a great way to, to networking, network and build really strong relationships with your fellow extern mates. Um, so just overall really great, uh, eye opening experience, development experience. And, uh, like you said, it's kind of practice ownership business 101 crammed into crazy two weeks but it was it was great Um, and we even do it in one week experiences i think that's one of my favorite parts is watching students that come in kind of with the belief that they can't understand this that this mm -hmm. is such a complicated thing that they'll never be under able to understand and getting to focus on it and getting to kind of work with it and dig into it and and actually get to wrap your head around what we're actually talking about when we're talking about right. these things because we kind of repeated um, it's very much a growth experience of, of starting basic but then layering on and layering on until you can you can really start to understand some of that high level stuff and what that means and and how you can apply that to your life right. and so i love watching the light bulb moments right i will say too that for for those of you that may be even closer to to buying a practice or even those that are just now thinking about it after this conversation um Think about the opportunity to sit on a meeting with the people that decide if you get a loan or not, and to hear what they are saying, and to see what they're thinking, and see what goes into a yes or no decision. I mean, I, I've got a feeling that there's going to be barely any other time in your life that you can go to a bank and say, can I see what you guys talk about when you decide on if you're going to give a loan to someone or not? And you get to do that a few times during your, your time there at Live Oak. So talk about getting the upper hand on seeing what goes into the strategy of, of, of making yourself an attractive candidate for, for a loan. So, um, obviously I can't say enough, uh, great things about it. So, um, well, thank you. yeah, but, uh, yeah, I definitely look into it if you're interested. Um, we'll put the, those web addresses on our website, but definitely check out, um, liveoakbank.com and, and there's more information there too. All right. Well, this was great. Um, and again, like I said earlier, I hope this uh, conversation will either uh, energize you more to get into practice ownership or even to start thinking about it if you weren't thinking about it before and realize that it is very much attainable, even if you thought it wasn't, um, just based on the financials and, and the scary parts of going into ownership. So I want to thank Dr. Just Trichel one more time. Um, it's great having you. This was, this was awesome. Always a fun time hanging out with you. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, um, thanks again. Thanks. And of course, thank you very much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For more resources and information about the podcast, please be sure to check us out at vetschoolunleashed.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook. Feel free to also reach out to me via Twitter or Instagram or email me at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com. I'd love to hear any suggestions you may have or topics you'd like to hear about. Also, reach out to me if you'd like to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. Once more, thank you very much again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM. DVM.